Good morning. Turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I uh, want to make one note that I think uh, Pastor Court will want me to make and say that I'm reading and preaching this morning from the English Standard Version of the Bible and not the New American Standard. So if you're following along in your pew Bibles or if you went ahead and invested in a New American Standard because that's what Pastor Court preaches from, sorry. You'll have to handle the English Standard Version this morning. And I do want to say also it's a privilege to stand here and uh, preach the Word of God to people who I love and have uh, meant a lot to me in my life. So, and it means a lot that uh, Pastor Court trusts me enough to do this. In fact, that's what he said on the phone. I called him and said, what do you need? And uh, he commissioned me and I said, Any, anything you want to tell me or any, any guidelines you want to give me? He said, no, I trust you. So that means a lot to me as well. So look with me at the book of Colossians chapter 3. We'll read the first four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we just pray this morning, just as we sang, that you would speak, O Lord. That you would use my feeble attempts to expound your word. Move me out of the way and let your spirit move amongst your people this morning. That our hearts would be encouraged that they would be pricked, that our affections would be stirred up for Jesus, and that you would conform us into the likeness of Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever entered a conversation in the middle and then quickly realized you have no idea what the people are talking about? Quickly you realize, I'm out of place here. Perhaps you've walked in to a conversation and heard something and went and jumped to a lot of conclusions about the person or about the conversation, but you don't have all the context clues that would provide you with the proper understanding of what's happening. I thought perhaps maybe an interesting illustration would be you, you come into the fellowship dinner next week and you get your plate and you sit down at the table and some folks are already chatting. And as you sit down, you hear, the first thing you hear is, ooh, gross. And as you look at the person who said it, their fork happens to be right in the dish that you prepared and brought for the fellowship meal. Now, what's the natural reaction? They don't like my dish. And not only do they not like my dish, but they're quite rude about the fact that they don't like my dish. I mean, they saw me sit down, right? And now they're just going to say, oh, gross, at the dish that I made. The problem is you didn't hear what came before 
the gross. In fact, what happened was somebody that was sitting at the table happened to tell perhaps an inappropriate story at the dinner table. And the natural reaction was, oh, that's gross. But you see how dangerous it can be to come into a conversation or come into some kind of discussion and without all of the facts, without knowing where the conversation has been and where perhaps it is leading, we don't know what, what to make of that one sentence or that one small section that we picked up. And as we come to the book of Colossians, we've jumped in right in the middle. We've jumped in in a really wonderful section of Colossians. But it is a hinge point to the book of Colossians. It doesn't stand alone as its own little thing. It, Paul has a purpose in what he's saying to the Colossian church, and he has been unfolding that purpose since chapter 1. And so the, the goal that we have to have in mind this morning is as we seek to understand these four verses, we must understand them in light of what Paul has told them, and we have to shed a little light on what, where Paul is going. Because not only are we in the middle, but we're also at a changing point in where Paul is going with his argument with the Colossians. Because he is in these four verses recapping everything he's been saying so far. And then he is starting to turn the corner to what he is going to tell them in the next couple of chapters. Scholars have come up with this pattern, and perhaps Paul had it in mind purposefully. We don't really know. Can't know the mind of Paul, but perhaps purposely Paul set up his books, his letters, in two distinct halves that all connect But the first half of a lot of Paul's letters, you notice a lot of talk about Jesus and what he's done and applying the gospel message that Paul has been proclaiming to the specific circumstances of that particular church. Perhaps they've started to stray from the gospel. Perhaps there's lots of disciplinary issues that Paul has to deal with. And in the first half of the book, especially these books like Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, we can can start to see a clear Chapters 1 to 2 or 3 are, are, are laying the groundwork. They're telling them, Paul is trying to tell them what the gospel is. He's reminding them of the gospel that has been proclaimed to them and who they are in light of the gospel. And then he turns a corner in the second half of the book and begins to lay out for, for the people what they now need to do as those people. And I think that will become clearer and clearer for us as we move through the passage this morning. All I want to do this morning is look at three things Paul says are true of us as Christians. And then Paul has one command for us this morning in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And I want to just pull those things out, encourage our souls this morning, spur us on, to consider them, to own them as truth, that we may be conformed in the likeness of Jesus. So the first thing Paul tells them is in verse 3, actually. I'm going to go a little bit out of order. But look at verse 3 again. Paul tells them, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, the important information that we kind of need to know about Colossians is, unlike some of Paul's letters, he is not writing them with a lot of problems to address. The Colossians aren't in some grave danger of sin. They're not really going off the beaten path too much. But what has happened in Colossae is people from within the church and people from without the church are coming and putting pressure on them to start thinking differently about the gospel. He starts to warn them about not being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. He's warning them not to start adding things to the gospel like keeping certain dietary laws or keeping certain festivals and Sabbaths as ways to earn God's favor. But he's not condemning them. And he's not coming to them with a ruler to slap their hands for being naughty. He's coming to them saying, I see you're in danger. Stay away. Stay away from it. Because look what he says in in chapter 1, verse 3. His opening remarks are typical in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3 he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's encouraging. I mean, think about the weight of getting a letter from the Apostle Paul himself saying, we're praying for you and we're thanking God for you in our prayers. Not just, yeah, we're praying for you because we know you need it. Now, he does say in verse 9, we're praying for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of God. And that you may be walking in his ways. But he doesn't say we're praying for you because, man, you've really messed up. He's coming to them saying, we thank God for you. You're doing great. But there are dangers in front of you that we know you can see. We're warning you to stay away from them. I want you to be I want you to continue in the way you're going. I don't want you to turn to the right or to the left. And the way he has done that is he is reminding them of what Christ has done for them and their faith that they have in him. He thanks God for them that they have their faith in Jesus. It's also interesting to point out that in chapter 2, he makes it clear that he's never been to Colossae. It's one of the few letters that we have that Paul has written to a place that he's never been. So he's never met these believers in Colossae. So he's only heard reports of their faith. But he takes them at face value. And he encourages them. And his message in chapter 3 verse 3 is, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So all those festivals and Sabbaths, all those dietary laws... You're dead to them. They're not completely unimportant. They're not terrible. But that's not the basis of your standing with Christ. You've died with Christ, he says. And your life is hidden with Christ. Can't help but think of Galatians 2.20. For I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. 
Now, perhaps some of us this morning are wondering, what do dietary laws and Sabbath laws have to do with us? Don't hear a lot of preachers talking about, well, you've got to eat certain things or do certain things or go to certain festivals. We don't hear a lot of people coming to us saying, hey, there's, this idea is really cool. It's nothing to do with Jesus. We may not be getting that in our churches. We may not even be getting that in our day-to-day lives knowingly. But I promise you, every day that you turn on the television, you pick up the newspaper, you pick up a magazine, you're being bombarded with philosophy and empty deceit that is trying to convince you that you need something, that Jesus is okay. Our culture is not in the business of saying, you can't believe in Jesus. Not that much anymore. They're okay if you believe in Jesus, as long as you don't think all the stuff he said is actually true. It's okay if you believe in Jesus, as long as you also believe in Buddha and all these other gods. It's okay if you believe in Jesus, as long as you realize he's not the only way. There's a big problem with that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I can personally tell you that even more than all of those things, as, as weighty as they are, that bombard me in my life, the biggest problem in my life is me. Because I won't let myself believe this verse is true. I won't let myself believe that my life is hidden with Christ. I will allow my sin and my missteps, I will allow my faults and my fears define who I am and tell me what, I th- what is true about me. And maybe I'm the only one in here, but I'm willing to bet I'm not. I'm willing to bet many of you sitting there this morning are plagued with fear. You're plagued with unbelief. Many of you, I... I I would be willing to bet are plagued with the sins of your past, maybe the sins of your present. Paul comes to us and says, you've died. You've died to that. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We've died to the men and women we once were. 
those things cannot condemn us anymore. Now, it's interesting when we think about Genesis, we think about the story of Adam and Eve. They eat the fruit of the forbidden tree and their first, their first inclination is we've got to hide. We've got to run and we've got to hide. And they sew together fig leaves to hide their shame and their nakedness. And they hide in the brush from God. And then God comes to him. And what's his first question? Why were you hiding? It's natural in us to hide. It's our natural response to our own beings. We can't stand the fact that we are so rebellious and so perverted and so polluted by the world around us, by our own factories of evil in our hearts. And we hide it and we cover it up from each other, from our husbands and our wives, from our children, from our parents. And more than that, we try to hide it from God. But Jesus comes, Paul is saying, and says, don't hide. You can hide in me. Don't hide behind your jobs and your your money and whatever else you can put together to hide behind to make people think you are something you're not. Step into the light and let all of that melt away and hide yourselves in me. Because when you hide in me, God sees me and is pleased with you. So you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. But going back to verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul also says, you have been raised with Christ. We've died and our lives are hidden with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. Now Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now we're going to come back to the seek the things part. But the important part is, for now, is you have been raised with Christ. Now the way he words this, we could be tempted to think that Paul is creating a conditional phrase where the first part is not necessarily sure. I mean, when we hear if, then, we, we understand they're saying, if this happens, this happens. If this is true, then this is true. Paul is not saying if you've been raised with Christ, as if to say, well, I'm not sure if any of us have been raised with Christ, but if we have, then this. He's saying, no, no, we have been raised with Christ. He's not trying to cast doubt on the Colossians. Remember, he's thankful for them. He's praying for them. He's warning them. He's guiding them into all truth. And he's not saying now, I'm not sure about you. No, he comes with the same assurances. You have been raised with Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1 that we read earlier. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But chapter 2 Verse 11, Paul clearly is calling back to chapter 2, verse 11, in chapter 3, verse 1, because he says, In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him, through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Did you catch Paul's logic in that verse? Did you catch it? You've been buried with him in baptism. And you have been raised with him through faith. In the work of God who raised Christ from the dead. So Paul is saying... If you believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, you can believe you have been raised from the dead. He equates the two things. And if we're sitting here this morning and we can sing, Christ the Lord is risen today, then we can know for sure we're we're risen beings. We're raised to newness of life with Jesus. We've been raised with Christ. And what a beautiful picture baptism is of it. That's why Paul uses it. Right? We get to witness them every now and again, and it's a joyous occasion to watch anyone come and stand in those baptismal waters and confess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sins and make public their profession of faith and their put down into that water, buried with Christ, and they were brought out of that water, new creatures, risen to newness of life. Now, baptism is a symbol. It's a picture, but it's a picture of something that's real. It's a picture of something that's real, that happens in our hearts when Christ comes to us and says, believe in me. See my hands and see my feet. Put your hand in my side and believe. And when we will put our faith in him as the Colossians have, and when we trust in him, he takes our hearts of stone and melts them into hearts of flesh. And we are buried with him and we are raised to newness of life with Christ. I think it's too often that we forget that baptism is not just a picture. It's a picture with a message of something that's real. It's a picture of something that is very real in our lives. And some of us, I'm aware of, are sitting here and have been aware of that reality and have been living in that reality for so long. We can forget 
that we are raised in newness of life and the grave has no hold over us. It has as much hold over us as it did over Jesus. We've died with Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ. We're raised with Christ. And in verse 4, Paul says, we will appear in glory with Christ. We will appear in glory with Christ. He says it very plainly. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He repeats that idea. He says, your life, in verse 3, he says, your life is hidden with Christ. And then in verse 4, he says, Christ, who is your life. He is your life. He defines you. When he appears, you will appear with him also. You will appear with him in glory. And it's another one of those things that is so far off hard to imagine it. We can't picture it. I can't paint a pretty enough picture of what glory will be like. I can't fathom what it will be like to stand with Christ before God and his throne and the train of his robe filling the temple. I can't imagine what it will be like to behold him in all that he, all of his beauty and not be blinded and be struck down as so many that we see in the Old Testament who even dared to touch the Ark of the Covenant were struck down. We will be free to come before Him with open arms and open eyes and ears and mouths to be filled with His glory. We sing a lot of songs about glory. We sing a lot of songs about flying away and crossing the Jordan and being up yonder, whatever that means. And those songs are nice. And those songs are joyful. But let us not forget that glory is not about roles being called It's not about reuniting with anyone that we might want to reunite with. It's not about anything other than basking in the radiant glory of God himself. Those three things are all true of us. They may be future truths, but they are true. That last one is future tense. We will appear. We haven't appeared with him yet, but we will. And we can be as sure of that, as sure as we, are, we have died with him and our lives are hidden with him. We can be as sure of that promise as the fact that we are raised in newness of life with him. Those three things are what define us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are our descriptors. That is who we are. That is who God has made us to be by the work 
of his son Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. He has made us those types of people, people whose lives are hidden with Christ, people who are raised with Christ, people who will appear with Christ. And notice that verse 2 is tucked nicely away, enveloped by those three verses. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This is the one command Paul gives us in these four verses. He's going to go on and unpack more commands for believers to be following. More things for the believers to be doing. But he's careful... He's careful to have not only these four verses before all of that, but he has two whole chapters before all of these lists of things to do. Because the reason he divides his letters in the way he does is because he has to lay the groundwork. He has to remind us who we are before we can be and act and speak like those people. If we try to put the other first, if we try to begin to speak and act and walk like people who follow Jesus, it'll never work. We will constantly have our focus on our actions and on our words rather than on Jesus. We'll have our mindset on things of the earth and not on things that are above. Because this verse, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It could, we could just leave that as a platitude and say, well, we have to set our mind on heaven and the glory that will come. And that's great. And we should think about heaven. We should look forward to the day when we will appear with Christ in glory. Paul doesn't just tell us that just to tell us. Tells us so that we can look forward to it and anticipate it. And that it will fuel us. But I think Paul has something even better as the object of what we're to be focused on. Notice that in these four verses, Paul uses Christ four times. Four verses, four times. That's an average of one time per verse. I can do that math. Christ is everywhere in these four short, packed, full verses. And he's everywhere in the book of Colossians. He's everywhere that we've read so far. Chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus everywhere. In fact, Paul in the end of chapter 1 talks about a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations and how how he has been commissioned to reveal that mystery. And in verse 2 he says the mystery is Christ. It's Christ. And he says in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is not pointing us to a pie in the sky 
just look forward to the end type of faith. He's pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to the object of our faith as Jesus. The object of our affections. The one whom we look to. The one whom we follow is Jesus. Because why? We've died with Christ. Not on our own. We didn't put ourselves to death. No, we joined in the death of Christ. And therefore our lives are hidden with Christ. And Christ is our life. And we're raised to newness of life, not by our own strength. Not because we wanted it so bad, but because Christ has been risen. And we will appear in the glory of God not standing on our own two feet with our pride, our chest poked out in pride before God. We will lay on our faces with Christ before God. Christ is our entryway to the throne room of God. He's everything, Paul is saying. He's pointing us, he's centering us on Jesus And if you're not convinced, look back with me at the passage we started with this morning from Colossians 1. I'll start in verse 15. Perhaps the most lofty passage about Christ in all of Scripture is here in Colossians. He says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If that doesn't convince you that Paul is not just talking about some view of heaven or some platitude to you know think about good things he doesn't want you to just think about good things he wants you to think about the best thing jesus he wants you to think about this jesus who he has already said has transferred us from one kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son who is as he said the light of the world He wants us to fix our affections and our attentions on Jesus who has reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. He wants us to fix our affections on Jesus, to set our minds on Jesus who is the mystery hidden for ages and generations in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants us to have our eyes fixed on Jesus who canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands and forgave us of our trespasses and nailed our sin to the cross with him. 
When I was a boy, I had a very, maybe not very bad habit, but a bad habit of walking with my head down. Some of you may even remember this about me, aware that most of you have known me since I was very, very small. But I was always kind of walking like this. And I don't think it was necessarily for lack of confidence, although probably. I think I've grown out of it a bit, but I remember it most when we would go on vacations. And it would be summertime, and I would walk with my head down, and we'd be walking through places, of course, that I've never been. And with my head down, I could only see just this small sphere of things around me, and I couldn't see my dad where he was walking. So it it led to some interesting uh, falls or bumps into things or it also led to a pretty bad sunburn on my neck most of the time, but that's another issue. But I was so focused on just this small area for some reason. I was just watching people's feet move and sometimes it served me just fine, but most of the time it would lead me in the wrong direction. And it was all because my focus wasn't in the right spot. I was focused here when the, the object is here. If I had just picked my head up, I would have been able to say, there's my dad. Okay, I'm following him. I'm going in the right direction. Yes, I, I, okay. I'm going. I'm, I'm following. I'm trekking. Paul is encouraging us this morning to have our focus in the right place. And he's warning the Colossians and he's warning us by the Holy Spirit that if your focus is here, it's on earth, it's on our jobs and on our families, which are not bad things and we have to do them. Certainly we should be raising our families. Certainly we should have jobs and be working and supporting ourselves and our families. And we should be doing all sorts of things. And he's given us wonderful things to enjoy on this earth that he wants us to enjoy. But we can enjoy them without worshiping them. And we can enjoy them without focusing on them. Because our enjoyment of our families and of our jobs and of our various other things that He's given us to enjoy comes fully and most wonderfully in that we enjoy them through Christ and through the lens of Jesus, radiant and glorious Creator of all things, who is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So where is your focus this morning? Where are your eyes fixed? Where are your affections going? Begs the question... How do we follow Jesus if we don't look to him? How do we proclaim that we are soldiers of Christ in truth arrayed, marching to his battle drum when we can't see past our own noses? I know I'm guilty of it. So 
So where are our affections? Are our affections on things that will not satisfy us? Maybe they're on sinful things. I mean, I've been talking about things that are, that are right and good and that we need and that he wants us to enjoy, but maybe some of us are sitting here knowing we have messed up. We're living in sin. I want to repeat to you, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Yes, you have sinned. But if you are in Christ, He covers a multitude of sins. His blood covers a multitude of sins if you will confess and repent and believe afresh. And I'm aware that there may be some of you in here this morning that have been completely confused since the moment I stood up here because you have no faith in Christ. And perhaps you can feel that tug of the Holy Spirit saying, come and be saved. Come and put your faith in this Jesus who not only created the universe, but has reconciled all things, and not just all things, but wishes and wants and wills to reconcile you, O sinner, to himself. Who wants to hide you away from all your guilt and shame. Who wants to raise you to newness of life in Him. And who wants to promise you that you will appear before God in glory. And you can feel it. And you are moved in this moment. I plead with you not to wait. I plead with you to heed the words of Isaiah 55, to come, buy, and eat without money and without price. Come. There is a bounty of forgiveness and redemption in Jesus, and he longs to pour it out over you. Do not let yourself deceive yourself. Our biggest problem is ourselves, friends. We will hold ourselves back. We will put ourselves down. We will beat ourselves up. Come and be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. And Christian, rejoice in the Jesus whom you serve. Revel in the fact that your life is hidden with Christ. That he is your identity. Not the things you've done. Or the things you wish you would have done. He is your identity. His righteousness clothes you. You're raised to newness of life. And we will appear with him in glory. Set our minds on that. Set our affections on that. That in the radiance of Christ, we could walk. And follow him. Not fixed on things below, but enamored with the radiant Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace towards us. We thank you for the word that you have given us. God, we pray that we would rejoice. And we would be stirred up 
to more love and affection for Jesus, that we would be stirred up to good deeds through Jesus. God, that our minds would be fixed on Him and Him alone, that we would follow Him, that we would love Him, and that we would feel the truth of who He claims us to be, who He declares us to be, forgiven and loved, reconciled to Him. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.